Good morning, everybody. I'm going to start reading the scripture. Uh, there will be two scripture readings today, um, so buckle in. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 33, 12 through, 20, 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find, so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the Lord, I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, You cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 34, 5 through 9. Okay. The Lord came down in a cloud stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt, knelt low to the ground and worshipped. Then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin, and accept us as our own possession. May God bless the reading of his word. That's my wife. We're going to celebrate 10 years this week. Yeah. It has not much, nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm still excited about it. So, <laughs> Well, cool. I'm, I'm ready to get into the Word. Um, you know, every, every week I'm supposed to make an introduction, but I forgot this week. So the introduction is we're going to learn what that just said. I'm sure when we were reading the Bible, y'all were like, what is going on? What is happening? That's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out what's happening in this chapter and what I got to do with us today, which is really what we do every week, yeah? <laughs> we do every week. That's so that's my introduction for the rest of the year. We just, I'm going to tell you what it say, and then we're going to try to obey, okay? All right. I'm just joking. All right. So here's what's going down. Uh, context is 
Context is king. Y'all going to know that thing. Listen, a lot of times when you're reading small passages of the Old Testament, if you just read it not in the, you know, in the order or in the story of what's going on, you could read it like, what in the world is going on? But it's very similar to if you just show up in a conversation, mid-conversation, and y'all are like, what? what are you talking about? And you would know what they were talking about had you been there from the beginning. So let's just talk about what's going down. What happened in the story is that, that, okay, God delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh in Egypt. He delivered them through the Red Sea. He provided them food to eat. And then they're all at this mountain where he's giving them laws and he's instructing them about what they should do and who he is. Now, while Moses is up on the mountain praying for them, they decide that it would be a really good idea to make some golden calves, okay? So they get some gold, and they make these golden cows, and they start worshiping them. And they say, you know what? Uh, These are the gods that delivered us from Egypt. Now, obviously, that's not true. And God is like, what are you doing? What is your your problem? Like, that just happened. We 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 just delivered you, and now you are worshiping other gods. And so what God says to Moses, he's like, look, man, y'all just go on to the promised land. Just go. I'm, I'm going to do my thing. Y'all, we just need to part ways. All right? That's what's going on. And so the Israelites have been saved from Egypt and saw the power of God, yet still worship other gods. Now, we can look at Israel and think, well, that is ridiculous. Why would you just go and do that? But the reality is that every single person in this world commits some, uh, some type of idolatry. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope, happiness, significance, and security. So whenever we look to anything, whether it be a person, an idea, a community, when we look to something else besides God for our hope and happiness, for our significance and security, we are saying, you, this thing, this person, this is my God. What I see this uh, most commonly is what you see too is this idea of climbing the ladder of social approval. Now, 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 depending on which group you like the most, that's going to determine which, which uh, social approval system you're trying to, to go for. But, but we, we try to understand what our group values and seek the security of their good graces. It's most blatantly seen on social media. Social media is like a, a sermon analogy every single week, okay? People saying craziness on social media. Sometimes they don't even be believing in the depths of their heart, but they understand, well, the people that I like or the people that I want to like me or the, the image that I want to betray, I need to say or do this very thing so that I will climb up the ladder of their approval rating. So whatever is at the top of your, of your life, whatever is the thing that you value the most, it defines your values and your morality. It defines what you value and what you think is right by what is at the top of your list of things to honor and to serve. And the Israelites decided that God didn't need to be at the top of that value list. In Exodus 33, verse 3, this is what God says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with, up with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, 
I might destroy you on the way. Now, here's the deal. I thought about that, and to some people, this sentence would not be a punishment. What he says is, listen, you can go ahead and have my blessing, but I'm just going to back up a little bit. You can have my blessing, but I I don't want to be there. Listen, I I have a lot of conversations with people in the neighborhood, and one of the the means through which I have conversations is through our after-school program, Welcome Leadership Development. And uh, me and Caleb were on the bus. We were taking kids home, and every now and then they'll just ask questions about God, right? And we're talking to this student, and he's like, he kind of brought it up. Why do I have to read the Bible? Why do I have to go to the—why do I have to do da-da-da-da-da? And he's like, won't God bless me anyway? Like, he blesses me anyway, so why do I have to learn about him? He blesses me anyway. Why do I, why do I need to go to church if he already blesses me? What, what he is demonstrating is a very common theme. If I can get the good stuff, the person who gives the good stuff can be distanced from me. Long as I can get the good stuff. Now, Moses had a different view. He saw that he couldn't have the good stuff without the good person. You can't have the benefits without the source. Now, this, this punishment that God is, is giving them, it seems kind of strange, but there's actually some grace displayed in a statement. He says, I don't want to go with you for your sake <laughs> because you tripping. Listen, there are some people that you don't want to be around because they trigger you, yeah? Like, if I go around this person, da, 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 you know, God's like, you, you all are, y'all are tripping. Let me just back up. Now, here's the, this is the interesting thing. Sometimes God's distance from us, listen, sometimes God's distance from us is grace to us because his presence would be a judgment. Let me explain this. So, a lot of times people will say, different, different church communities, but I mean, I really wish, like, what was happening in the book of Acts was happening now. I want to see miracles. I want to see, you know, you know mass salvations. I want to see this, the, the great blessings of God. And to that, I say yes and amen. But what often is left out of that is the negative size of what happened in the book of Acts. That, that God's power was displayed powerfully. His presence was, fe- was, was felt. But somebody lied in the church and they instantly died. Yeah? God's presence was felt and people were, were healed from blindness. But somebody spoke against the gospel and he got blind. When God comes near, he definitely comes near to bless those who are humble and contrite, but his judgment comes as well. So what are we going to do about this? The the, the crux of the passage is, is, is Moses and the people want God to come near, but the reality of, uh, for them and the reality for us is there's some stuff working in our hearts that will be judged. There's some stuff working in our hearts that wouldn't be so good if it was brought to light. So, so what are they going to do? In verse 12, we see that Moses intercedes for the people. Moses said, look, you have, you have told me, leave this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor with me. Now consider that this nation is your people. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you ask, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. So what's clear in the picture is that most everybody in Israel is tripping, except Moses at this point in time. It could have been real easy for Moses to be like, look, man, look, forget them, but can you go with me? That's not what he said, is it? 
He found favor with God. God looked on him with grace, and he used the grace and favor that was given to him for the sake and the benefit of others. This lets you know something about the reason for which you get blessings. When you are shown favor from the Lord, it is not simply so that you can feel good about yourself. Oh, so that you can enjoy the benefits by yourself. When you have favor and blessing and grace from the Lord, it is so that you would show favor and that you would bless those around you. Moses is, is, is the, 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 the type of the intercessor. He says, listen, I have this good favor with God. They have blown it. And even though I'm frustrated with them, I want to pray on their behalf. There's some people in your, in your life that you're frustrated with, and we need to have the posture of Moses. Not let them get what they deserve, but Lord, show mercy, show grace like you have shown me. One of the reasons that, that Moses wants God to go with him is because he says, listen, the only distinguishing thing about God's people is the presence of God. He realizes every good thing that happens is because God is near them. In other words, there's nothing qualitatively better than the people of Israel Moses. It's not like they're exemplary people. The only difference is that God has decided to bless them. This removes any ounce of pride. The people in the church should have zero pride because God is not kind to us because we're better than somebody else. God is kind to us because God is kind. And if he has shown grace, it's not because you did super awesome. It's because he is gracious. We should all be able to say like, like Psalm chapter 16, verse 2, it says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. You are the source of my goodness. You are the source of my joy. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. So Moses prays, and apparently he's a good prayer, or God's just gracious. And God says, you know, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. And Moses not only asked for, for grace for the Israelites, but he asked to see the glory of God. In verse 18, it says, Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. The Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by you, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Now, everybody who read that said, huh? Yeah? All right. <laughs> Let's just keep it on. What, what exactly is going on here? Well, first, we need to get to, to the root of, of why Moses even asked to see the glory of God. One of the highest goals of existence is what theologians used to call something called the, the beatific vision. That's a fancy way of saying, I want to see the thing that would make me happy. I want to see the thing that would give me joy. 
I want the, to see the thing that will satisfy my thirst and my longings. I want to see. That's why when you go on a vacation, you go sightseeing. You, like, you could have like, looked it up on the internet, but you actually go to the place, right? Like, I want to see it. <laughs> like, I want to see the thing. We are all looking for that, that vision that would inspire us, that would give us joy, that would give us hope, that would give us peace. And the scriptures say that that vision of joy is actually a glimpse of the Lord. In Psalm 27, 4, it says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. So Moses said, listen, you've shown such grace, but I want to see you. You've shown me the, the, the benefits of favor. You've shown me miracles, but I want to see you. Now, again, you could look at Moses and say, well, he probably deserves to see it, but God makes it clear. I will show mercy on whom I show mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion on. If you, if you get a glimpse of the glory of God, it is because he's been gracious to you, and it's not something that you could lord over somebody else. But he also says something interesting. He says, listen, I want you to see me but if you see my face, you will die. So we got to talk about that. What is going on here? The fact of the matter is there, there is a danger of looking straight at God's glory. There's two reasons. There's the demands of justice. Now listen, when you've been driving down the highway and you wasn't obeying the speed limit and you saw the police, what you do? You're like, you're like, oh, snap, let me, let me, let me. Now, listen, there's other times where you would be like, please come, I need your help, right? Right? But there's times when you're putting the pedal to the metal. I, listen, I bet looked in the rear view, I'm like, oh, snap, here we go. The re- now, listen, that officer is not doing something bad in enforcing the law. I'm the one that's tripping. But when I draw near to the one who is supposed to dispense justice, and I have been committing injustice and sin, then I am the one in trouble. Now, God says, listen, Moses and all the people, y'all, I like y'all, but y'all tripping. So if you draw near me, if you draw near to the just judge, there will be judgment. Not only that, this is just harder to explain. There's just this, this danger of being near the holiness of God. When, when, when the Bible describes the scenes where God is present and it describes angels around him, in Isaiah 6 it says, the angels were standing above him and they had wings and they covered their faces. The angels didn't even sin. <laughs> They're just like, this vision is so powerful, so potent, that I can't just flippantly be here. I have to approach carefully. God's, God's glory is, is, like, is like the sun, all right? Now listen, I like the sun, but if I'm trying to hide something, I'm trying to keep that thing in the dark, yeah? I like the sunlight, but if I'm trying to keep something under wraps, I don't need the sunlight to come upon me. I want to stay in the shadow. The issue is not that the sun has light. The issue is that I have dark. Not only that, the sun's cool, but you ever try to just stare at it for a long time? Don't do that. <laughs> it 
it'll mess you up, right? There's something powerful about it that if you just stare at it, you, your eyes cannot even handle it. See, in, 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 this, in this idea of the sun and sunlight, we get a little bit of a glimpse into what it means to, to look at God's glory. He's saying, you're not quite ready. You can't get too close, not because the glory is bad, but because we have flaws and the glory of God is powerful. But here's the deal. Moses says, can I see your glory? And God doesn't say no. They didn't say that. He says, I'm going to let you see what you can handle. Yeah? I'm going to let you see what, 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 what you can handle. He says, listen, I'm going to hide you. I'm going I'm, I'm to hide you right here, and you're going to see these, these glimpses of who I am. In other words, God reveals his glory through safe lenses. That is so gracious of him to do. A lot of times when I'm talking to people, they be like, I just wish... God would tell me, blah, 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 right? Tell me what to do. Tell me the thing. If he would just appear to me. But y'all need to keep this chapter in your mind. <laughs> All right? I just, do you? <laughs> I just, was, hold up now. You feeling good today? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, hold up. Maybe, maybe he's not showing you something because he cares about you. But here's the deal. Within the church, he actually has giving, uh, given us a means to see him that we can handle. That's why he gives us the scriptures. That's why he gives us the preached word. That's why he gives us uh, uh, these sacraments and ordinances called baptism and communion. He lets us see his nature, the truth of his nature, in such a way that it doesn't absolutely destroy us. Not because he's trying to withhold himself, but because he has compassion and grace on us. And so we can't just look unaided, but he gives us the word so that we can put on these, these sunglasses that we might behold the true glory of God. Now, what's crazier is, 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 is God says, I'm going to reveal your glory. And I don't know what you thought would happen. I don't know what I thought would happen when I first read the scripture. But he actually passes by and he actually announces who he is. Right? God reveals his character. Look, look at uh, in 34, 5, it says, the Lord came down in the cloud stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt down low in worship. Now we got these two broad categories of attributes. God is both compassionate and just. He is compassionate and just. The scripture says that, that he is gracious. That means that, that he has, it's, it's, it's this merciful behavior of a more powerful person to another. The scripture says that every good thing that we have is from God. Have you ever, I don't know, this is just me. Sometimes I'll, I might be like just watching my kids and they're playing. Like yesterday they were playing in a little pool. And I just felt like this immense happiness. I was like, look at them. Look at them playing. Look, I, I like them. 
And I had to realize that that gift, the gift of the children, the gift of my perception of the blessing of the children is from God. The one who has power that that I cannot imagine, and he just gives it out of his abundant grace. It says the character of God is to be gracious. It also says that he's slow to anger, and he's forgiving. Now listen, that means he gives you chance after chance after chance after chance. A lot of times people look at the Old Testament, and they, they, they get really stunned by the harshness of the judgment language. But here's what you need to understand. God has given people hundreds of years to repent. He's like, I told your daddy and your granddaddy and your great granddaddy, can you, can you stop? And they're like, no. Like, he, he is giving chance after chance after chance because he's slow to anger. And even when people completely ruin it, like David who committed the sin of adultery and murder in the same act, when David asked for forgiveness, God didn't say no. He is slow to anger. And he is forgiving. It says he's abounding in faithful love. It's one of my favorite terms in the scripture. You'll, you'll, read, you'll see it in the, in the Psalms, faithful love. It's, it's, it's this idea of a covenant love. It's, it's affection plus commitment, okay? It's affection plus commitment. So listen, I'm sure when you were a child, you probably wasn't that awesome as a child all the time, okay? But your parents had something called covenant love for you. They had affection plus commitment. Now, there's sometimes they were looking at you like I was looking at my kids yesterday. Oh, man, look at them. There's other times we're like, why are you tripping so hard? But I'm committed. <laughs> I, 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 no, matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're going to be my child. And I would, they would say something like that. It didn't matter what. You are my child. I love you. I have this affection for you plus this commitment. This is the type of love that our God gives, not a love that's fickle and that shifts every so often. It's a love that is rooted in his commitment to love you because his character is that way. And not only that, it says that he abounds in truth. You ever had somebody withhold some important information from you? Like, why, didn't you, I, why didn't you tell me that? That would have been so helpful. Now, maybe they was trying to cover your feelings. Maybe they were trying to cover somebody else's feelings. I don't know what they was trying to do. But it is a grace when somebody tells truth to you. Is it not? I would like if there would be a sign that says dead end before I just start driving down the street. That's a grace. So our God is compassionate. But get this. He's also just. It says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. I don't quite know how that makes you feel, but there there is this moment in my life where I heard that, and it was good news to me. And then this, I just want to kind of let you know some of the things that happens in our community. There there was this this, uh, young lady that, that me and my wife knew, and we shared the gospel with her, and and after a while, I, I can't make this up, she disappeared, Okay? Nobody knew where she was. Mama didn't know it. Nobody knew. Okay? Months later, she reappeared. <laughs> and me and my wife sit down and like, you good? Where you been? And she proceeded to tell us how she had been trafficked. How she, and not, not only somewhere far away, but I knew, she showed me the place. I would pass by that place every day and not even know that something like that was going on. And I was mad. 
angry. And I thought, somebody needs to pay for this. Some, this is not okay. And I thought, there is a God that will by no means clear the guilty. I don't know if they're going to get caught today or in this life, but they will stand before him. And he will by no means clear the guilty. And that is good news. If you see the injustice and the pain that is, that is inflicted on people in this world. I feel like I need to say this over and over again. God's justice, his judgment is not a character flaw. It is an aspect of his perfect nature. Not only does it say he will not leave the guilty unpunished, but he says he will allow the consequences of that sin to go down. That seems harsh too, does it not? You're like, wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out, time out, time out. I know he did something, but he, he, the baby ain't do nothing. What's going on? It's this idea, listen, this idea that God created humanity to be interconnected. He created that with the sense of good. Like when you help somebody, you actually wanted to help them, yes? Like when you help somebody, you want the effects of your help to be good. It's because you're interconnected, because God made you not to be uh, this independent, isolated person, but that you exist in a community of people. And the original creational intent was that we would be able to help one another. But in our sin, that creational intent got morphed. So that what was intended that I would help you, but when I harm, the harm is real. The consequences of sin are there so that you can understand what sin is. That it has real effects. And some of y'all who've been sinned against, y'all know those effects are lasting, are they not? So when, when, when Moses hears this, he says, man, God is compassionate. He's He's just. It prompts worship. So often I hear people, they want to, they want to really like simplify who God is. They want to give like these little, like, like he's all loving. He's the, he, they just want to simplify. But the fact of the matter is that the one cr- who created us is, is complex. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us because are you not complex? Right? I mean, depending on the day. You know, listen, the, the one who created us does not fit into a neat little box. And the different aspects of his perfections, the different aspects of his compassion and his justice, they're all inspired and should inspire worship. Now, Moses asks to see God's glory. He sees a piece of God's glory, and then he continues to intercede, and God shows compassion to sinful people. In 34, verse 9, it says, Then he, then he, Moses, Moses, then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stick-nephed people, forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. What I love about this prayer is it's just completely honest. Yeah, I'm a pastor. I hear weird stuff. One of the things they'll say, listen, if God will do this thing for me, I'll never do anything wrong again. People say that kind of stuff. I'm like, come on, bro. Let's get real. No, you can't. No, nobody. I can't make that kind of statement. No, listen, he's just completely honest. Like, listen, Lord, have mercy. Most definitely, we're probably going to trip at some point. All right, we, we, y'all know, you know how he is. 
You know, like, you have been around this for a minute, you know, but can you still come? <laughs> and because God is compassionate, because he has this covenant love, this affection plus commitment, he says, yes, I will draw near to you. Here's the deal. You cannot understand the grace of God unless you are honest about your condition. There, there is no reason to hide sin. Because if, listen, what does it say? Is he slow to anger and he's forgiving? Why would I hide my sin when his character is to be slow to anger and to forgive me? But if you hold your sin in and if you just shroud it in mystery and darkness, then you walk around with shame all the time. When if you would be honest about your sin, God in his nature says, I'm slow to be angry with you and I will show forgiveness. And so God accompanies his people along the way in the midst of their sin. And if you are a Christian in here, that is your story. I look, we all got regrets, right? And sometimes we pretend like our regrets was like all before when we got saved. That is not, that is not, not me. <laughs> There's some things I just, just did. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? And God in his grace chooses to draw near to me anyway. Even when I failed, I fell hard. He says, I'm going to have compassion, and I'm going to go with my people. Now, this idea of God having both justice and compassion, that being at the center of who he is, is actually shown most clearly in the gospel of Christ Jesus. God shows both his justice and his compassion at the same time in the cross and resurrection of Christ. In Romans 3, listen to this, Romans 3, this first one y'all all know. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now follow the logical train here. God presented him as the atoning sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. So let's, let's make that plain. He just said he's not going to uh, let the guilty go unpunished, did he not? I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And then you got folks like David. <laughs> Look like he was guilty, right? He got folks like us. Look like we're guilty. What, how can he not let the guilty go unpunished? And, and how can he be forgiving yet still show this justice? What, how can that both happen at the same time? It says that God in restraint passed over sins previously committed. And in verse 26 says, God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Christ. The idea is this. God loves us enough that he still is going to demonstrate his holiness and his anger against sin, but he's going to demonstrate it in himself on the cross. The cross is, is this explanation and demonstration that God didn't just let sin be, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. No, no. God in Christ dealt with our sin so that he would be able to demonstrate that he does not let sin go unpunished. Yet at the same time, he shows compassion and faithful love to us. 
because our sin is placed on Christ at the cross. God shows his justice in covering over our sin by taking the punishment of sin in Christ. And then he says, he says he's going to be just and, the ju- and he's going to justify. The justice is that he, does, he has an answer for sin. He's not cool with it. And what's that? How is he justified now? I'll, we said this before, but I want you to repeat after me. Imputation. All right, that's a big theological word. Here's what it means. It means that that perfect record of righteousness that belonged to Christ because he lived a life of perfection, that when we trust in Christ is applied to us. There is this great exchange that happens in the gospel that all of my sin is placed on Christ and all of his righteousness is placed on me. God shows crazy abundant mercy and still demonstrates his justice. Not only that, God mercifully reveals his own glory in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, it says that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Now remember, go back, go back to Exodus 30. Can you see God's glory and live? No. <laughs> the answer is no. But, but we can't see God's glory through Christ. Does not God in Christ show us grace? Is he not consistently showing us mercy? Showing kindness that we didn't earn and that we did not deserve? When you see the glory of God through Christ, you are looking at the true glory of God. You you are looking at his grace and his mercy. Is he not slow to anger and forgiving? Is that not the nature of Jesus to you? You see his glory through Christ. Does he not have covenant love? Does he not say, I have been wedded to you and I'm not going to send you away. I'm not going to allow anything to break us apart. Does he not show truth? Moses said, can I see your glory? And God showed him a little bit. We could say, Lord, can I see your glory? And we can see the fullness of that glory in Christ Jesus. Both his compassion and his justice. So this is an encouragement for us to be completely honest and open about our sin. Knowing exactly what he's going to do with it. Not holding against us, because he's already taken care of us. But we get to see the gracious, compassionate, forgiving glory of God every day in Christ Jesus. You know, when I, when I think about this passage, what, what, what sticks out to me over and over again is, is Moses' desire to pray for others. And I, and I think about this, that, that out of the abundant favor we have received, we must use that favor to pray for those around us. One of the reasons that we, we do that structured prayer in the beginning is because I want to give you some categories of what you ought to pray for. If the only thing you pray for is yourself, you did it wrong. <laughs> yeah? Because <laughs> if we've been shown grace and mercy, it's not just for us. There are people hurting around us. There there are people who need God's help. And because we have been favored in Christ, when we pray, God hears us. Why would we not use that for the benefit of others? So I encourage you, when you take your times of prayer, don't just pray for what you need. 
You have been shown grace in Christ, not just for you, but for the benefit of those around you. So let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for the revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus, that, that all of your grace, all of your mercy, all of your justice is displayed in the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would draw us close to yourself, Lord. And we don't have to be afraid about our sin being exposed because you have dealt with it. We can can draw near to you, the Scripture says, with boldness because of what Christ has done. And Lord, to be near to you actually is our good. To see you clearly is what our hearts actually long for. So would you, through the the, the blood and suffering and resurrection of Christ, help us to see you clearly and give us this joy. This joy that, that has no end, that's full of glory, that's even hard to express because we get to be near the God of all creation who loves us. And would you give us the heart and attitude of Christ? who lived this life not just for himself, but for the sake of others, who prayed not just for himself, but for the sake of others. Would you give us his mind and and would you give us his humility so that we can use all of the blessings and grace and favor that you have poured out on us for the sake of those around us, for the sake of our community, our family, our friends, even those who might be enemies, Lord, would we have the mind of Christ to pray for their blessing? In Jesus' name, amen.